I was alluding to something very specific that you brought up, the belief that some engineers and developers were taking advantage of remote work and work from home to actually work multiple jobs. <laughs> there were stories of that. I've never come across anyone no. who was doing it. Well, you have your AI clone <laughs> exactly. that's putting in code for one company or six companies for that matter. You're a supervisor of your own fleet of bots. That's right. <laughs> Making $300,000 each at each of these organizations. And you don't have to pay the AI bot much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We are coming to you from GeekWire in Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in business, technology, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the most interesting stories in the news. Coming up later on, John, I've got an update for you. News emerged this past week on something that John Stanton, the Mariner's CEO, alluded to on a past GeekWire podcast. The news emerged this past week on exactly what he was talking about, I believe. So we'll have that coming up later on in the show. But first, John, I just want to say, if you are not comfortable with the first topic of this podcast this week, I would just ask you to please disagree and commit. All right? Are you good with this? Yes. Right. I love that leadership principle. <laughs> Uh, this is I, this was fascinating. Okay, let's set the stage for folks here. Andy Jassy, Amazon's CEO, I think has faced as much, if not more, pushback from his employees than any other CEO in tech or elsewhere on the return to office policy among Amazon employees. Three days a week, starting back in May, in the office, they started detecting badge swipe data to send messages to people who were not living up to this and it caused a big dust up. And I'm not sure if it's the way that Amazon implemented the policy or if it's the nature of Amazon employees that Amazon has faced more of a pushback. But I was fascinated by the news that emerged this past week about an internal meeting, a town hall meeting where employees brought this up again. And I kind of envisioned Jassy like the dad in the driver's seat saying, we'll get there when we get there. Shut up already. Let's move on. Because he was clearly done talking about this topic and basically told people, according to a report that leaked first in Insider, the business news and technology news publication. Leaked is a key word that I want to come back to. Yes. He said, look, it's past the time to disagree and commit. And if you can't disagree and commit, I also understand that, but it's probably not going to work out for you at Amazon because we are going back to the office at least three days a week. And it's not right for all of our teammates to be in three days a week and for people to refuse to do so. I just think it's fascinating in part because in my view, Amazon more than any other company has institutionalized the FU. You've got this leadership principle, disagree and commit, which is basically like, Okay, if you don't like it, well, hit the road, buddy. <laughs> exactly. And then externally, I think in a similar way, their ethos of being misunderstood for long periods of time is very similar. It's typically a message to investors about the long-term commitment and the fact that over time they believe they're going to be right. And if you're not on board with that, then you misunderstand them and hit the road, buddy. <laughs> it's time for you to move on as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of the institutionalized FU and I kind of admire that in some ways. Yeah. 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 What's your take on all of this? Well, I said I wanted to come back to the word leaked because- Leaked, yes. I have a 
theory and a suspicion that maybe leaked is not the right word. Planted <laughs> seems to be, I think that the message will continue to be put out there and sink in because they are very adamant about getting this across to their employee base. So I am curious whether this was planted, not leaked, because they came back with some strange ways and how they confirmed this within some other media uh, by providing additional information to like CNN. But like, I, I don't know, it was just very interesting how it got out there and why it got out there. You're saying that while this might have looked like some big expose initially, it's actually in Amazon's interest to get this message out to its employee base, to the wider world. Hey, we're drawing a line here. If you're not on board, you're not on board. Totally fine, but you're not going to be on board here. Yes. Okay. Yes. I see that. I could see that. If it were another publication, I think that would be the case. I think that what ended up happening was Insider got information from somebody internally. And to your point, I think Amazon probably said, you know what? Great. Let's go with let's this. Let's go with this. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably true. Yeah, like... They are putting a lion in the sand on it, and I think sometimes you have to do that as an organization, and I think it's admirable. I th actually disagree with it. Um, Tell me more about that. Well, I still believe that work has changed, and I don't think we're going back to a world of real stringent – and maybe it's just because I'm more of a startup ethos on this than you know, running a million-person company is a lot different than running a – 20 or 30 or 50 person company. But I just believe you get the most out of people when you provide them the flexibility to do the work in an environment that works for them versus very stringent policies on being in a certain physical location. I know people who work at Amazon, their teams are not even in the same country as them. And now they have to be in the office for a certain hour period when they're like doing conference calls in Europe with, with people, it doesn't make any sense. A couple months ago, you brought up something that you had heard from someone in the industry about an ulterior motive for Amazon and other companies to get employees in the office. Yeah, I still believe this theory. It, and it plays to my it. theory of, of why they want this out in the press and why they're doubling down on the messaging. Well, my theory is that there's a control grab here by companies. These large tech companies had lost control of their employee base over the last five to seven years when it was mania in the, the tech world in terms of salaries and benefits and employees were dictating what customers you could have, right. what hours they worked, how much they got paid. The, the, the entire power equation had shifted, well, not entire, but a lot of it had shifted to the employee base because there was such a run on technical talent. And because of this change in direction uh, over the last 12, 18 months where the economy has shifted and companies have cut back and laid off employees, I feel companies have are using it as a way to re-grab their power in the power equation versus the employee base. Understood. And I think that still very much holds true. I was alluding to something very specific that you brought up, and that was the belief that some engineers and developers were taking advantage of remote work and work from home to actually work multiple 
jobs. <laughs> there were stories of that. I've never come across anyone no. who was doing it, but I've heard anecdotally that this was happening. People had two jobs, one at Amazon, one at XYZ Corp, right. and they could do that. And it's interesting because you start to think about things like GitHub Copilot and Amazon <laughs> right. Code Whisperer. You have, well, you have your AI clone <laughs> exactly. that's putting in code for one company or six companies for that matter. Exactly. Yeah. So I now I think that probably overstates the capabilities of AI. And to some extent, you still need human attention in many ways to do that. that but, said, but what if you're just an editor? You're essentially the editor and you have your own workforce of AI clones who are out there working at various companies and you're just a, a person that's managing that. Exactly. Yeah. Just it's basically possible. You're a supervisor of your own fleet of bots. That's right. <laughs> so making $300,000 each at each of these organizations. And you don't have to pay the AI bot much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Clearly, Amazon's position on the surface here, and I think it's true, is that the serendipity that happens with in-person collaboration is worth the pain that people might feel to have to commute in. To your point, it's not one size fits all. I do think, though, that as part of this grab for control, this whole idea of making sure that people are not working multiple jobs is a subcomponent of it, kind of a subplot. And in fact, if there's anybody out there who's listening, who knows of this dynamic playing out, either in their own lives and work or colleagues that they know were working multiple jobs as developers, taking advantage of remote work, this is a story that I'd love to pursue. So send me an email at todd at geekwire.com and uh, we'll be in touch. <laughs> well, it is fascinating how it's playing out and there's certainly, I would say, a bigger shift towards return to the office. And we must say, what Jassy's asking for here at Amazon isn't that much. He's saying three days a week. So it's like compared to where we were pre-COVID, where it was five days a week, you know, I, I, you, you can understand where he's coming from. If you really do believe that you get better work product by having people in the office working together, then, you know, three days a week isn't too much to ask. And I think you know, hats off to him because it is a hard decision and you're managing a million plus people and everybody has different opinions. But at some point as a leader, you do need to like say, this is what I believe and this is what I stand for. And we think this works better for us for whatever reason. It might be cynical, like I'm saying, or it actually might be, as, as you're saying, it does result in a better product at the end of the day. And I had think it's admirable that he's taking a strong stand on it and and sticking behind it. I agree. If that is his conviction, the fact that he's sticking to it and being consistent is good. Now, as part of this, some employees are pointing back to his original memo about working remotely and saying, well, what about that? And Amazon, in response to that, says, well, we said we would revisit this over time. Yeah. So. And I think that's where probably the workforce is getting a little upset and where I could see why they're a little miffed by this because it has been whiplash. I mean, Amazon's policy on return to the office has been all over the map in the last three years. I mean, you remember it was like, oh, we're going to be back to the office at this date. And then they pushed the date. And then it was like, oh, we're going to let our man each manager decide when people come back. And they're like, nope, we're not going to do that. Now we have a company pause. So it has been a lot of different policies in a very short period of time. And it was a radically changing environment too. So it was hard to manage, but I think now it seems like there's one policy and based on Jassy's quote, I mean, the writing's on the wall there. To me at Amazon's size, 
hundreds of thousands of corporate and tech employees and, you know, roughly in the range of 1.5 million employees total, including their warehouse and distribution network on that, which obviously they don't have a choice. They've got it. Yeah. And there, there is an equitable, you know, fairness issue here too. Like there are people that have to show up in their warehouses that I think this was Costco's point at one time during COVID and you'll have to double check me on that, but I think they were coming out and they're saying, yeah, we're going to be in the office. You know, we have people in our stores that have to be there every day. So we have to be in every day. And I, that's, that's a legitimate argument. And Amazon does say that exceptions will be considered on a case by case basis. That said, I remember thinking when they announced that the decisions would be left to managers, middle managers, that it made a lot of sense at their size because it's difficult to do a one-size-fits-all. You apply this blanket standard to everybody, and of course you're going to have these crazy situations where people are going into an office three days a week for no legitimate reason other than the fact that it's the corporate rule. It's tough. It is a crazy environment out there in the working world right now, and you can see where a lot of conflict would happen. Do you think Amazon gets beat up on this more than others, in part because their policy was so all over the map originally? Or, or what, what is your theory? Because they do seem, I mean, Apple's been back in the office, you know, and Microsoft has a return to work policy that's not too much different. Why, do, why does Amazon, Amazon seems to take a lot of heat it's on this compared to, compared to the, their peers? That's an interesting question. And I don't know if it's the way Amazon has approached it in, in the way that you're describing where it has changed over time. Of course, everybody's changed over time. Or is their workforce more activist in some ways than other workforces? I mean, we saw a walkout. It was not the entire workforce by any means, but we saw – hundreds or a thousand employees in Seattle walk out. The crowd was disputed. Yes. Yes. We did have our Sean Spicer moment there where <laughs> we, disputed, moment. That's classic. we disputed the <laughs> organizers tally of how many people actually walked out, but that's a whole other story. To your point, I do think Amazon has taken more guff on this issue than others. And I'm not quite sure why. We will link from the show notes to a variety of reports on this topic Coming up, the latest on technology and the Major League Baseball strike zone. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. You're listening to GeekWire. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. John, a couple weeks ago, we had John Stanton, the Mariners CEO, on the show. And one of his things, apart from saying, don't call them robot umps, was that he previewed or hinted at some changes that were going to be made in the way the strike zone, the automated ball strike system, as he called it, was being implemented at AAA ball. And this week, reports emerged explaining how things are going to change. And the actual changes themselves are not as notable to me as the fact that it is so fine-tuned at this point. So ESPN reports, the robots this season were programmed to call a two-dimensional zone based on where the ball crosses the midpoint of the plate 
eight and a half inches from the front and the back. MLB reduced the top of the zone to 51% of a batter's height from 56%. The system averaged batter heights rather than accounting for body shapes and stances. So that's the way it was. Now, starting in September, data for each player from the pose tracking system of cameras installed at each ballpark will be used to set the bottom of the strike zone at an individual's back knee for the automated ball strike system. The top will be five and a half inches above the midpoint of the measurements of a player's left and right hips. I mean, wow, this like, is confusing. Well, it's, it's, but, that's confusing, and I'll link to the story. But it's interesting. Yes. So is that in real time? The cameras are picking up the data in real time and adjusting the strike zone, or do they take the data, like they know Julio Rodriguez is coming up to the plate, and so they already have his body dimensions, and as such, they have that data already. It's based on individual player dimensions. I don't know if it's in real time. It suggests that it is because it's the Hawkeye pose tracking system. Hawkeye, similar to in tennis. So it looks like one way or another, they are assessing the height and the dimensions of this player, the way that the player stands in the box and adjusting the strike zone accordingly. Now there's some computer vision for you at work. Exactly. And to me, this is kind of the ultimate bot or not question. I know human umpires are technically supposed to be adjusting their strike zone based on the height of the player. I don't think that actually happens. And it's funny, I've been watching baseball over the past few weeks with, in the back of my mind, John Stanton's comments about the fact that umpires actually call an oval strike zone, not a square. And I got to say, I'm not sure that that's right. I, that was one thing where I was like, I don't know. I, I think they might well, actually still call put the square. square up there. <laughs> so it's hard. Square. It's hard for you to see what the ump yeah. is seeing because of the visual display they have on the screen is a square. Yes. So you probably are just inclined to think it's a square. Maybe, but a lot of times they'll hit that upper left corner and they'll call it a strike if it's a good umpire. And it seems like, like that would be out of the oval, right? It'd be out of the oval. Yeah. My big point here is the extent to which the game is going to be moving from subjective to objective calls of balls and strikes. And when you go into these details, and again, I don't think the nuances of these details are as important as the fact that they are fine tuning it to this just amazing degree. Yeah. Well, we've seen this in soccer, the sport that, you know, I track very closely and they have VAR, video assisted refereeing. And the big controversy there is on offsides, oh, yeah. which is offsides is a very complex call to make on the on the field. But now it's such that like they are fine tuning it to like the millimeter. If your pinky is in front of the last defender, they will call you offsides. And frankly, there's a big backlash against this because that's not really in the spirit of the game. Like that's not giving you advantage that your pinky is out in front of the last defender. But some leagues are experimenting with the fact like they're blowing up the offside rule because that takes away a lot of goals if you get called offsides more. And they are going to change their rules to be more liberal in terms of what offside actually means. I think they're doing this in the Dutch league okay. uh, where they've they've changed the offside rules because of v- VAR has made it frustrating that there aren't as many goals getting in because of really dumb things. So you can see this happening in baseball too. I think it's interesting. I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. 
I just think it's fascinating as a real world example of how automation is changing something that we all experience in various ways every day. So that that's that. And uh, go M's. Let's just leave it at that. Go M's, surgeon. <laughs> First place as of this recording. That's right. We're recording this on Friday afternoon. So good luck to the Mariners in the pennant race. Funny to say that. <laughs> all right. Coming up, a sneak preview of something we've been working on at GeekWire that's coming up this fall. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. John, we've got something exciting happening on October 19th. It is the return of our annual conference. Now in its 12th, 12th year, 12th yes. year, the GeekWire Summit, and it is going to be different this year. We are shifting to a new format. It is going to be a half day in the afternoon at the movie theater that was formerly known as the Cinerama. Do you say Cinerama or Cinerama? I say Cinerama. Cinerama. Okay, we'll go with that, although we're not going to have to say it much longer because it's the former name. That said, this is an exciting change because it's a concentrated dose of AI. We're really going to do a deep dive with some experts in the field, get a sense for the realities of where artificial intelligence is, separate out the hype from what people can do on a practical basis. I'm excited about how the lineup's coming together. And then in the evening, there's a special feature that plays into the venue where we're going to be holding this. Yeah, we are really excited to be back in Cinerama. I don't know if a lot of our listeners know about this iconic landmark cinema in downtown Seattle, but it's a fantastic venue. The late Paul Allen renovated this theater into this magnificent space with these great luxury leather chairs and massive screen. And it's just a wonderful and super cool venue. So we're excited. We're actually going to be the first public event back in the venue since the Seattle International Film Festival bought the facility and took it over. So we're really excited to kick things off there. And in the evening, we're going to screen a movie for attendees, and it's going to be a really fun experience. That's awesome. And yes, there will be chocolate popcorn. <laughs> nice. Okay, good. So that is coming up on October 19th. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in the month of September. And then leading up to the event, we'll be announcing some of our initial speakers as part of the lineup soon. And we're looking forward to seeing all of you there. The tickets are very limited. So if you do want to check it out, and if you're listening this far into the GeekWire podcast, you really should be there, especially if you're in the Seattle region, because you're a super fan. You should check it out at geekwire.com slash summit. Looking forward to that. All right, John. Hope you enjoy your long weekend. You too. Happy Labor Day. Go M's. Go M's. And are you playing in the Sounders media match today? Can yes. you talk about that? I, I think <laughs> I can. It's media. It'll be shared on the socials. Yeah. I'm not feeling like I'm in the greatest shape of my life right now, but uh, we'll be coached by the great 
Brad Evans, the former Seattle Sounders player for the Bruce Lee kit team. And uh, I'll be representing uh, Geek Choir out there on Lumen Field on the pitch and hopefully doing my best to make you all proud. Have a great weekend, everybody. Kurt Milton produces and edits the show. Daniel L.K. Caldwell composed and performed our theme music. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.